Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Right now, like initially we all started in our schools for the people, by the people, right? That's what Web3 is. Essentially, the government now is not really by the people, for the people. It is by the people, but there's still a central party that makes autonomous decisions. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Uh, I am Arjuna Vaideshwaran, Data Product Manager at Women Who Code. And I have with me Bhavya, Bhavya Batra, and she's uh, going to be talking about exploring emerging technologies and building them with limited resources. So a very exciting topic here today. So Bhavya is, she uh, she's a businesswoman and a Web3 advocate focused on leading digital transformations to help companies achieve their potential. She likes to explore emerging technologies and use them as tools to improve businesses. She's passionate about creating uh, an impact by facilitating innovations and nurturing consumer-centric startups. So yeah, thank you so much for joining in, Bhavya. Welcome, Ashna. Really excited to be here today. When did you sort of get started into tech? I know you now talk about emerging technologies, but what got you started into tech as such? So being born in a very different generation when most of than most of my teachers, I was naturally more inclined towards HTML and happened pretty early to me. So I was in an international school and fourth standard was when I first encountered something called a computer lab and an HTML competition was going on. So that's what primarily got me interested into tech. I saw like how people could build web pages and I really wanted to do more and spend my free time there. So that's essentially how I got into it. Wherever I used to have like free time, I used to enter the computer lab because those were the places that really had ACs back then. So yes, that, that was my initial encounter with the space. Yeah, absolutely true. I think I can completely relate to you there. Uh, you know, India can get very, very hot. So you you do need places where you have air cons and yeah, <laughs> computer lab is one of those places where they need to make sure the machines are cool enough. So yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. have coats on the labs, like don't wear your shoes inside because the virus oh, is my yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. I think some memories are now coming back, but yeah, very fascinating, um, you know, introduction into tech. Did you happen to like pursue into HTML back then? Like, did you happen to build something? Yeah. So I started building web pages and my teachers actually were very supportive. So I started attending a lot of these inter-school competitions. I would build web pages. I learned first time that you would actually build web pages of MS Excel as well. So oh. ever since then, I never really stopped. Like our curriculum was modified and we got Photoshop, Coral Draw, and there were no limits to the tools that we were exposed to. So definitely uh, that was an entry point, but it only grew from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, yeah, you talked about school a bit, but, uh, you know, ever since school, what has your tech journey sort of looked as, uh, look like, you know? So my tech journey initially was very limited to my school and I used to interact in competitions, go around, meet people and learn about what they are building, what different web pages they have and different elements they're bringing in. So that was mostly out of it until in 11th standard, I had to pick a stream and I really had to choose where I want to be. 
And although I was very inclined towards a non-medical and economic side of things, I could very not let go of computer science for some reason. So I stuck on to it. And uh, being uh, like being grown up in a city like Delhi, a metro city, I was always, always very fascinated by the corporate culture. I was very fascinated by big buildings. So definitely a career in computer science was very attractive to me. And I wanted to like enter into the space because my, my parents are both from a government service background. And I essentially felt that there's not enough change in those roles, like right? you're, you're doing the same tasks every day. So computer science really came through as something that would need you to change your skills every six months. So that's where I pretty like I got really excited in the space. And that's where I like, picked, like made a random decision to okay, let's start with it and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very fascinating. And as you said, you know, things have to constantly keep changing in working with computer science as such. So, which brings me to my next question. What got you involved with Web3 and blockchain? Like, why do you find those areas interesting? So for my undergrad, I really didn't want to go for engineering because I had a perspective. If I have to do it, I have to do it from the best schools, which I was not really prepared for then. Otherwise, I'm not going for engineering because it's like anything that everyone else is doing. So I went for a more theoretical course, which is Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science, and because I thought I would get more into the theory part of it, how it started, and how essentially the algorithms like really come together. But uh, midway through the curriculum, I realized it, it tend to get, tends to get very boring. And that's when I started exploring random research papers online. I started interacting with my coaches more. So most of my teachers there in Delhi University were uh, like pursuing their PhDs as well. That's where I encountered machine learning, AI, and blockchain. So while everyone was working on machine learning and AI, there was one professor who was who started with blockchain and then migrated to AI because there were not enough resources around the space. So mm-hmm. that's what like pushed me towards exploring it more because I was curious, like, okay, what happens with the textile that does not have resources really? Like, how do people build on it? Because someone has to. So that's where I started reading about it, writing about it, and I wrote a paper which really didn't do well anywhere in India. But then again, I posted it, I reached out to a few people on LinkedIn, and that's how I got a fellowship in ACES Information Technology uh, as a research associate. So that's really when I started exploring in depth of uh, private blockchain. I worked with a professor called Sophocles Ephemides, and uh, we like dived deeper into the tech stack around the space, how are the projects that are coming up and what essentially is the value proposition behind it. So that's really what got me into the space. And ever since I returned back, I realized it's still very much in the research phase. So I just restricted to freelancing and exploring more around it. And uh, it it has been just like upwards from there. Got it. Yeah. Uh, But what sort of attracted you to Web3? I know you touched on blockchain, but I'm really interested to know because Web3 is still something I get people a bit hesitant about and people know it, but they don't really know it. So what is your perspective on it? In fact, till a lot later into my blockchain journey, when I didn't have any clue about what Web3 is and how is it really different. It was a very funny article that said people talking about teaching about blockchain don't necessarily know the difference between Web 3.0 and Web 3. That's when I got into reading and I understood like what is the concept and what is the what really is to talk about. Like how is it the third generation of Web? And that's when I came to read like how the Web uh, like evolved from Web to Web 2 to Web 3 then. Because uh, I was grown in a time where there were already phones. So I, I didn't really remember static web pages, even though I had made them pretty early. 
but uh, that's when i could relate and i could understand like what the difference is between the like the essential structure behind the tech and that's what got me into web3 as well when i started reading more about it i understood how it holds potential much beyond softwares and applications how is it changing the unit economics of how we operate in real business world absolutely so like yeah. i know like you used a lot of terminologies right now but if you were to explain it to someone who doesn't really get it and uh, you know someone who is completely new to it how would you like describe web3 to that person if i have to describe web3 to someone i would like to start from like a fresh ground and i would like to say uh, if if you have to relate it to something understand like uh, in terms of a government right now like initially we all started in our schools for the people by the people right that's what web3 is essentially the government now is not really by the people for the people it is by the people but there's still a central party that makes autonomous decisions so web3 is just promoting an idea wherein all the participants come together and take a unanimous decision instead of being a representation of vote right so if we have to take a decision in what to order and there are five people in the party all five of them agree on it and then we go forward with it that is something that uh, in a very raw language web3 is got it yeah that's that's really a very i guess very nice way to describe it because i think everyone can sort of relate to it somehow and they can feel like yeah i i i know uh, what you mean over here and also like where do you think this sort of field is going now because uh, you know you obviously hear a lot about blockchain you hear a lot about um, i mean you hear a lot about crypto but you hear like maybe a little less about blockchain but yeah you do hear about blockchain and web3 do you see a future where they both will sort of interlap or like overlap or you know work together like where do you see it'll it'll be going so blockchain is essentially a tech stack that is facilitating web3 in a way it promotes transparency it promotes security so it is already a part of it but essentially where it is going is with every emerging tech like there's a curve to it and with the learning curve around blockchain what happened essentially was there was a lot of information overload since open source was already very prominent right so every information that came through was pretty jargonized which made a lot of people scare away from the tech stack because they assumed it to be too technical but i think that is kind of fading off now people are getting to the real value of it and they are understanding where the core proposition around the tech stack lies right so that's where the adoption will definitely take place but we are still to evaluate if it survives as a tech in industry right because it's more about the problem people today why crypto is more famous than blockchain is because there was a financial aspect to it there was instant gratification attached to it there was instant rewards so some people just for the sake of quick money try chose to try their hands over it but will it sustain for long term we really don't know because we still need to figure out what is the proposition behind it what is the backing economics around it right with web3 growing in definitely it will have value in places where we seek more transparency but definitely governance is something that is yet to be figured out and who knows maybe there's another emerging tech that merges on to all of it <laughs> absolutely but yeah thank you so much for explaining it so well and uh, moving on to you know uh sort of your journey into women who code like you know um how like now you are the women who code blockchain fellow and quite for some time right it's been like 8 months so what's your fellowship been like and what sort of attracted you to come into this fellowship at the first place so i had been coding like pretty early on and i had always been a geek right and uh, post my mba i was definitely looking to divulge 
more into the business side of things because I understood that maybe I can learn better if I can talk in an unjargonized way. But uh, really not everyone is open to exploring such a space with someone who has been in a very technical space because again, communication is a barrier and you really don't have anything to back uh, your experience off. That's where I encountered women who code and they were kind enough to have faith in me and give me the leadership position. And definitely it has been a great journey. Like I have learned how to interact better. I have learned how to communicate my needs better. I've learned how to give ownership while still maintaining authority. So I think that has been a great journey overall because I was always into solving the minute details myself rather than managing things and letting people take care of it. I was the person who would in a group project ask people to just be and let me do the entire thing. So I think letting go uh, or at, uh, when you look for senior roles is very important because that's where you realize how you can manage your time better as well. So it has that's definitely it. been a crazy journey, crazy eight months. And I think I've changed like a lot in these eight months. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, I know like, if someone is looking to get into this role what would you like what would be your advice to them and you know what would you suggest that they do or they do not do as part of being a fellow so for anyone looking to be a leadership fellow one thing very essential is that to have be open to experiments and to be open to failures like even during my application and the applicants we had these times also the major challenge that we see is people struggle to send in their challenge till the very last day. And mm -hmm. there's a very standard trajectory behind it. We film our videos, we film our challenges four to five times because we're just not confident if it's right. However, with communities like Women Who Code, the essential, uh, what people are really looking for is that you have that confidence and you have that ability to go on for a challenge. You need not have everything on day one. That is something you grow and develop with the community. And for anyone coming into this position, it can really get overwhelming at first because you might not have previous experience in managing people and you might be an introvert or you might be someone who's been behind a desk all their lives. But this is the chance, like this is a place you make mistakes because with a community like this, you have a lot of people helping you throughout. Like even if you can't write a caption for it, you will have 10 people supporting you and they'll never judge you for it. They'll, in fact, be very honest and very open to you how things should be and why should they be this way. So I think it provides a learning ground in any community like this. And uh, definitely it is something that uh, people should explore if they are like too hesitant to take big risks. Because like, I think, I think this is the place to be for them. Absolutely. And yeah, thank you so much for explaining that. I feel like that really puts it out well as to what uh, it means to be a fellow. Uh, but like in terms of events, I just want to understand like, you know, what sort of events did you hold in case of blockchain? Did you have any, did you, um, did you like maybe make like a judgment of how the field is going in based of the events and things? But yeah, how has your uh, fellowship been in general in terms of the track? Okay, so when I was entering the track, there was, uh, the track is pretty new. It, it has been only two years since the track was there. And uh, what happened was the sessions, we were just testing the grounds as to what does well with the audience. So there were a lot of sessions here and there, a lot of beginner sessions, but there was no enough structure to the track. And being from the industry, I do realize, I was mentoring students then, so I did realize where the gap is and why people are not able to get onto the blockchain bandwagon and like or not have a clear journey to their learning. Because it's an emerging tech and there are very limited resources, so people tend to misuse it. And 
kind of people, a lot of people started creating paid courses which didn't really have any value. So that's where we started interacting with our community more in meeting grades. We started aligning as to what is their current background, where are they now, and where are they looking to transition. So based on the tech stack that they had, we conducted more of intermediate level uh, workshops instead of very beginner friendly workshops. Like the recent event we did was a Solidity Bootcamp. So that was actually based off something that we had been doing for a long time. We did an introductory session on how to set up a wallet, how to make your own NFT. And post that, we got in the Solidity Bootcamp, which actually introduced people to Solidity, to, to the concept of smart contracts, and then to building it themselves on the session itself. So I think that has been pretty great with the tracks that we could understand our audience being a small community. We could communicate uh, the needs well, and we could actually get some projects ongoing. Absolutely. That, that's really interesting that you sort of targeted that you know, sort of need, because I know blockchain is quite niche already. So you yeah. sort of targeted the, those groups with who already had knowledge and sort of needed it to sort of upskill themselves. And I think that's that's the place where Women Who Code does really well is a point where, you know, uh, you're in your career and you see a lot of options and you don't know where to go. And uh, you need that sort of push or help or support to get into that specific role. So yeah, thank you so much for explaining that. and um. And I I also uh, noticed that you started getting into streaming. So how did you get into that? And you know what what is uh, what has that been like? Quite happened after I entered Women Who Code, and we have these sessions for leadership fellows where we get to analyze how we are doing as leaders, what is the mindset we are working at, and that's when I realized like I've always been very shy, even though I'm very good with people. So when I'm networking, I do explain concepts well, but uh, I won't volunteer to go up or stage and talk about it. So that's when I realized I really need to come out of that social space if I want to enter the business and management world. And that's where I found that starting with the camera alone in a room would be the easiest way out. So that's when I thought I would start streaming. And initially, I did not post about it on any of my socials because I was really very shy. What if my friends join in? What if my colleagues join in? And I started streaming on a platform called Creator Club. So it was a Web3 based streaming platform wherein they introduced a concept of like an DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, wherein all people who are streaming basically govern the rules of streaming. So I started with that platform. I started streaming and I started seeing a lot of organic traffic. Like I started seeing 80 to 100 people on my live sessions. That's where I really started to uh, gain a little confidence that if these people are really coming back, I might be talking to them. And uh, mm -hmm. yes, I never looked back from then. I have been more open to things such as this podcast, uh, speaking out in public and going on stage as well. That has really helped me overcome that fear of speaking in public. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds really good. I feel like, uh, do you have any recommendations of where people can start and like, why not use, I don't know, like uh, stuff like Twitch? Uh, why did you decide to use something like DAO for streaming? Or is there any other sources? Like, can you do it on YouTube itself? I think for anyone who's looking to start, Instagram is actually a real made, a good medium because you can start with small videos and it's like more friendly. If you don't like it, you can not really post it also. You can just go on live and test it out for yourself. And you would get more honest opinion with your friends. For me, what happened was I got reached out by Creator Club for an opportunity and I just happened to explore a platform where no, none of my friends would be. So that's <laughs> where I chose to explore around it. Because I love uh, challenging tasks, but I sometimes try to keep it a secret until I do good at it. 
<laughs> absolutely i can totally understand and uh, so yeah that's that sort of brings me to my next question right like how do you sort of because yeah if you would start an instagram live it will probably just be attended by your family and your friends yeah. and your relatives as such so how do you like sort of get out of that and then go towards like somewhere where you can find similar sort of people for streaming like similar sort of audience so i think it's essential to identify what do you really want to talk about and who would it benefit because that's one thing we learn through a lot of women who code events as well when we are curating an event it's less about what that event holds it's more about the value it adds to the attendees so whenever you're trying to stream whenever you're trying to talk about something you really need to understand you need to put yourself in the shoes of the person who would be listening to it and how does it add value to their life because they'll be giving you 10 to 15 minutes bare minimum to listen to you so what adds value to it if you're talking about something about lifestyle you might choose on platform like instagram right but if you are uh, talking about a concept of how to and why to a youtube would be a better platform because people engaging on youtube would have longer bandwidth and are just looking to explore around different topics so it's definitely very important to understand what uh, what is your target audience before you start uh, choosing a platform yeah it does sound like very you know um... like something you need to research and figure out what really sets out for you but yeah i would love to like if you have like any you know blogs or anything that you would love to write about this i think like you should go ahead and write it i think a lot of people would be interested as well because yeah i'm hearing it and i'm like i i would have never thought of exploring that and yeah uh, you know i bet like you know uh, there are a lot of people like me who want to start but don't know where to right yeah yeah that's a big thing with emerging tech as well <laughs> uh and so uh, now coming back to the startups uh, as such when did you sort of decide to be a part of the founding team uh, at startups and why so initially i was very as i told i was very uh, fascinated by big buildings and corporates i started my first internship with reliance house in my first year of undergrad itself like when people were just going around enjoying i said no i'll go to an office and that's when i realized like there's a lot of hierarchy to things and uh, really in big organizations you're mostly just doing monotonous tasks until you've reached a certain level and post that post my graduation i joined deloitte usi which is again a big company i was working there as an analyst and it really does get monotonous for someone like me who would like to explore more try more hands at more problems so that's where i thought okay maybe i'll take a break and i explore more of startups so that i have a fair idea of what how both situations work and then i can make a decision for myself so i encountered freelancing at first it's not really easy to get into startups because they don't have 10 people doing the same thing they would have a one person marketing team handling all and everything from business relations to their marketing to sales right so mm-hmm. you really need to be on your tiptoes and need to learn every day again it's not something like you come with the skill set on day 1 and that's what you'll be trained on and that's what you have to implement repeatedly so that's mm-hmm. what excited that's what really excited me about startups and when i started joining a few i realized they really need people in tech to come out with the people in tech were usually choosing the safe jobs and not really helping it out and uh, big thing with people in emerging and emerging tech is that they're mostly developers right because they understand the complexity and the nuances behind it and the business people although they want to get their steps into it and can really benefit from it because there are smaller cycles of implementation they uh, find it very hard to retain good resources so that's why like i found my piece in startups it gave me a lot of room to explore like in startups i have never been limited to a space that okay i'm coming from tech so i can't do marketing or i can't do sales 
that's where i started exploring a lot and i think i kind of done i've had quite a journey for the past two years trying to deorganize my language into more of a business lingo than from a techy language and that's where i think i've uh, helped create a bridge between the technical the core technical world and the business world and that's how startups have worked pretty really well for me especially the senior management roles yeah absolutely uh, that does seem like very fascinating and obviously like you know um as technical people we we tend to i feel like we have a tunnel vision we tend to see the one thing alone in our own like tech stack and then we definitely do not try and think about how to do marketing or how to do sales and yeah it's it's a long journey it always feels very intimidating but it's sort of great to know that you know there are people like you who have sort of made the journey and are uh, still like you know doing really well at it sure i think people with the tech stacks like ours like they the opportunity cost is too high because if you just pick one tech stack and you excel in it you would have a pretty good a pretty stable job so the risks actually become bigger with startups because a startup would not necessarily stick to one tech stack itself they might start with an android app they move to an ios they might discard the app altogether because the they're very problem focused and they're not the client focused ones so it is definitely high risk high reward uh, and it's definitely more to explore so for people who are not necessarily happy in a monotonous situation and are like okay let's let's to change who are people who enjoy chaos i think startups are a great place to be at definitely that that's uh, that's a good way to put it <laughs> and yeah uh, let me continue further uh, when did you uh, like how do you continue evolving and upskilling with all the roles that you sort of have because now that you also do a bit of marketing or you know the business aspect of it but how do you sort of cope that with taking care of emerging technologies and making sure they both like gel together as well so it is not easy to start with definitely and each person has their own road map like when i now when i go to talks a lot of people ask me how did you do it and i was like it is definitely be different for you because when i started with web3 and blockchain it was just coming around there were barely 17 to 18 people who were working around in this space so it has to be very different for everyone uh, definitely but initially it gets a lot overwhelming also when you don't have any clue as to what you do but i think uh, the very important step is to set your priorities right to and to divulge yourself in freelancing projects because when you have a certain uh, responsibilities and certain commitments you can't really dive into a new space and uh, expect to have like a good role matching your current composition or your current role as well so for me when i had to start from i i wanted to do sales even though i was an sde i had to start from an intern position because that's the thing with any new thing you're learning when you are starting you have to learn from the first position otherwise you don't really get the ground rules of it so to be able to open to that i think financial independence here becomes a very big financial freedom really becomes a very big factor and it might not be easy for anyone at beginning so what i usually uh, started to do was with my full time job i started taking up a few projects for free like i did a sales small sales project for free but i would just devote 2 to 3 hours to it and not more once i had a little experience in it i took small internship roles in it and once i was very confident in it i took bigger contractual project prod, uh, like projects in it that's when i could really shift from my full time job to having two to three contractual jobs because i was now equipped in three to four fields and i was very sure of it that i could upskill from there so initial the initial setup does take a lot of effort and a lot of giving out of your party time 
but uh, if if you really enjoy learning and if you are someone who enjoys upskilling it it does reward in the long term because you get that mental peace and you never really bored you always have something new on your plate to learn so it it, it is very exciting yeah definitely very very interesting to sort of know that as well how can we like develop on emerging technologies with i guess the topic for the day sort of with limited resources right and like maybe like i would love for you to also break down what these limited resources mean do these mean in terms of skills or does it mean in terms of what you might have so um yeah i mean like uh, would love to understand more into how to develop for emerging tech people who necessarily go into it are mostly techy so we'll take a developer approach to things and when you are diving into something which is an emerging tech your first encounter is usually happen to a paper or you might have read it somewhere right but if you're someone who's wanting to be updated with it as just following consultancies basically who start uh, like who experiment a lot of these tech stacks because it's less about the tech stack it's opposite actually as techies we first pick a tech stack and we work with it however in the real world and business problems how things work is okay i have a problem and the problem is that the documents are like the trajectory is too opaque i want it to be more transparent and that's where you start thinking how can i make it more transparent maybe i share it with 10 systems and everyone has a copy of it then it's transparent that, that's where a text tag really comes into picture right if i say okay i don't have a central space where i can store all my documents that's where cloud came in so the tech is really a solution and a tool and not the other way around right so that's where uh, exploring comes in so if you would like to if you would like to keep a track of these things following big consultancy is definitely a way someone who is actively involved in uh, innovation in in the digital space it's definitely a good place and once you have your initial encounter and you want to learn in the space the limited resources here essentially means that you will just have a raw concept around it like okay this is what we are working on like for consensus it's just like we are just voting on it that is proof of work that is just the raw concept and there's not enough guidelines around it like if you go today and you say i want to learn python there will be a full guide book as to okay you should go on to jupyter notebook download this get this library with emerging text stack uh, there's no road map to it and that's the beauty of it like there's nothing constraining you like with python you may start thinking only from the library because you were guided up to there but with a text stack where you only have a concept note around it you're just free to explore your imagination runs wild you just think okay if you're just voting it why why just in an app what what if i do it in a financial system what if i do it for healthcare what if i do it for maybe economics or government right so you you're just open to explore and there's so much that you can do there's definitely challenges when you are looking to implement it because you don't really know as to where to implement it will it work on mac will it work on android so that is where these white papers come into the picture you'll get very vague definition into what three of these were senior researchers are still working on it but that's what creates an opportunity for you as well if you have prior developer experience if you know any of the basic java or c sharp or c++ you basically understand how algorithms and data structures work and it is similar for any new language so all languages are mostly built on the previous one So, if you understand concepts like object-oriented programming and some of the basic computer science uh, algorithms, you can uh, work work your way around trying to code a little bit, and that's the best part. There's no one to judge. Also, like you, everyone is just experimenting, and there's a small community around it. So, you keep experimenting around it until something works. Yeah, definitely. I I feel like that's that's a really good point about how you could take like a top-down approach. 
versus like a bottom up in terms of learning but you know like um i mean obviously nowadays you have great tools you have like stuff like gpt as well that could sort of assist you while you are sort of learning and nowadays like even if you run like i feel like i mean stack overflow is really good as well but if you get stuck you could use gpt to sort of debug your program as well it does it in a fairly quicker manner but how do you like you know come to like at some point like you know if you were to take the top down approach and that's pretty great as well like you know making sure that you know uh, you know you attack the problem versus going the other route of just learning uh, all concepts before you come to the problem but do you at some point like this has happened to me often is that whenever i take a top down approach i i am constantly scared that i don't know enough and that sort of also like stops me right and i i get into this um sort of space where you know i i don't know whether oh maybe i don't know enough and that's why i'm not able to tackle it so how do you sort of judge that i think that is the biggest problem that most people face and with like you mentioned tools like stack overflow and gpt that's even too far for emerging tech like that's that gets you nowhere to emerging tech because uh, again gpt what it does it's an ai language it reads off information that's already available with emerging tech stack the beauty of it is that it's not already there there's there's no one to define it there's no one who defines the rule where you code it do you code it on a web app do you code it on your system do you code it in the command line prompt right there's no code to it really there's just a concept there's a core concept that i want to do it and you still need to figure out how do i do it like it's it's not about it's a cloud storage so i'll store it on the google drive it's about figuring what is the google drive where mm-hmm. where does that system actually go where does that space really go and it's very natural to get into the loop of maybe i don't know things maybe i can't do it maybe i should wait for one or two years until other people explore and then maybe i'll dive into it but again that's that's the part uh, wherein learning being a student for life really comes in and it's not like you leave everything and get into it but if you are someone who has that little kind of uh, interest in research and get, getting to know more exploring more what can happen uh it it's it really helps to read as well and read things off of te- uh, technical concepts right technical documentation because we in, as techies we encounter so many technical documentations in our daily lives we often really lose touch of what essentially uh, a system is right or what, what essentially uh, how things work like before i did my management a product to me would just mean a web app a software or or like kind of a mobile app but when i really got into my management uh, someone really we were in a project and someone mentioned that okay chair is the product that we are looking for and that's where i realized okay something as simple as chair could also be the product if your problem is just sitting down right so that's that's the approach that we need to uh, and it takes a lot you need to read a lot out of it so you don't get lost in the biases of the tech world and but that that's what gives you a lot of courage and inquisitive power to keep reading because when you are reading uh, for so i till date i say that if you have no coding experience it's easier for me to teach you solidity than if you know all other languages because when you are learning solidity right you try to relate it to languages that you've known you know javascript you know java you know c sharp you're just trying to bring in okay isme like this is how it used to happen in that 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 text guy how does it happen here and why is it different so there is a lot of factors that are barring your innovation that is something you definitely need to unlearn when you are working with emerging tech because it's trying to solve a new problem with a new approach there might be other approaches that work but we are trying to figure out a better way 
So that's Absolutely. where reading really comes in. <laughs> yeah and you know now that you've been talking so much about emerging tech and obviously you are now doing web3 and blockchain how do you know where the field is going next you know or do you like wait for something to come out and then jump on it or do you like already like within like for example within machine learning and within like you know working with deep learning as such i think like we obviously like envisioned a day when large language models would come even 4 5 years ago we knew that if given the enough compute we would reach here but how do you sort of define it in your space especially with web3 and blockchain right so there will be with every tech stack right there are a lot of people in the favor of it and then against it some people will say no it will not survive it will die metaverse will die but really how we do is we i never take a tech first approach like i will never vouch for web3 as a tech i will just vouch for the value it brings in if there is a solution tomorrow if there is a new tech stack tomorrow that can provide me more privacy more security more decentralization i might just opt for it right so it's not really about the tech stack again it's being very problem agnostic and like a very problem centric and uh, understanding what is it that you want to solve and that's why like a lot of people now say that will web3 make the next change or generative ai and it's really not a competition because it's what about where where you find use case for each of them so that's that's definitely very important to define especially when you're working in emerging tech and where i work is essentially product so i really try to understand what is the problem current problem that a business is facing is it the automation is it optimization of their funds is it resource pooling is it scaling and then i kind of try to break down how that challenge can be solved with tech if there's something that cloud can solve better than blockchain and in a much lesser cost and obviously cloud is the answer i think that is a big factor when you're working with emerging tech to not get lost into it even though it might be on a boom right now because a lot of people don't understand it and just want to jump onto it 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 will not sustain long term if it does not have real value absolutely that's that's a great way to put it yeah like you know uh, see what problems you can solve and not what don't go after the tech and yeah um i think like you know we can sort of wrap it up on that thank you so much bhavya uh, do you have like any other like final thoughts final things that you want to maybe tell the community about or the listeners as such i think it was pretty amazing having this discussion and uh, when i interact with a lot of people who are looking to get into emerging tech space there are a lot of questions around how do i start where do i start so i just hope this could give them a starting point and that courage to kind of start reading and get into the space because it it definitely has certain risk but it is the most amazing space to explore your creativity and let your innovation like loose yeah thank you so much bhavya and thank you so much for joining us today and giving us such a enlightening talk i i personally enjoyed it a lot i bet all of our listeners will as well thank you thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com. backslash women who code thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe rate and comment